Welcome to our Drivers Podcast. Tune into our Drivers Podcast for an exclusive look into the story of how our platform was born and how it's revolutionized the way we connect drivers and customers. Join our general manager Pete Stevens and soon to use founder and CEO Steve Orenstein as they take you on a journey of innovation and success. Don't miss out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of our very popular Drivers Podcast. Um, today, for a change, I'm actually joined with Michael Geist, our CFO and uh, Master of Coin Extraordinaire. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. Today, we're going to talk about um, how to manage your finances when you're on the platform. It's a, it's a very well uh, well used um, question that I get from time to time on the platform about how to best to maximise your income, how best to deal with your expenses. So we've brought in an expert in this podcast to make sure that everyone's well informed. Um, as you're probably aware, we can give generic advice. Um, people should obviously contact their accountant or financial advisor to make sure that everything that we say in here makes sense and is... Um, applicable for your own personal circumstance. So let's kick off with the first question. Michael, how does a driver minimise their expenses? Thanks, Pete. Um, and you've stolen my first line, which was that... Sorry, Michael. That's okay. The tips that I'm going to be giving drivers today, they're very general in nature. They may not be applicable to your personal situation. And I agree with what Pete said. It's really important that you speak to either an accountant or some sort of an mm. advisor, mm. to make sure that what you're planning to do is right for you. Mm. In terms of minimising your expenses, I think the most uh, beneficial thing you can do to minimise your expenses is to have a really fuel-efficient vehicle. Mm. So obviously the biggest ongoing expense for a driver is your fuel. Mm. Choosing a fuel-efficient vehicle can obviously help reduce the amount so you we're spend talking on hybrids and those sort of things aren't hybrids they? and evs i mean i know that they're not they're not cheap at the moment but i think in over the next few years i think there will be a second-hand market developing for evs and i yeah. think the costs will come down so keep that in mind for the future uh the the price the cost difference is significant i think it might cost five to six dollars to to fully charge a, a, an ev as opposed to i don't know yeah the time between you Obtaining an ROI for return on investment yep. of that would be uh, significantly yep. less. Yeah, that's right. So you're doing lots of kilometres. Yep. Mm. And most of our drivers would, I assume. So, it, But even if you're using a petrol car, there's ways to minimise the cost. I'm sure that all drivers are constantly on the lookout for the lowest price petrol they can find. Mm. But there is an app such as the New South Wales government's fuel check app. I'm not sure if they're in other states, but they probably are, something similar, yep. which can help you see the best petrol prices price near where you are. And, and personally, I like using the My 7-Eleven app. No plugs for anyone in particular, <laughs> but just one that I use, which lets you lock in the lowest price from the closest five 7-Elevens to you for a period of seven days yeah. at any 7-Eleven station. So think about searching for low prices when you're in an area where prices are low. Even if you aren't planning on filling up in that area, you can take that price with you wherever you go. So that's something definitely to worth having, having a look mm. at. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, keeping your car well maintained, for example, changing the oil, checking the brakes, ensuring tyres are inflated. Regular maintenance could help you prevent costly repairs down the line. 
So they're a couple of tips. Yeah, cool. No, that's really that's really good. So the, the the drivers that have been on our platform for quite some time, and, and you all know who you are, but drivers that have been on other platforms would very well appreciate that um, uh, all the tips that you've just said there. I wasn't aware of the Seven Eleven, which allows you to lock them in, so I might might try that myself. Mm. In terms of tax, so tax is a very uh, oh, I suppose controversial matter. Yeah. How best should a driver manage their tax affairs? Okay, so, I mean, there's a couple of ways to do it. Uh, you could just use a, some sort of a spreadsheet or some app on your phone. But I think um, there, there are a number of free or relatively low-cost apps that you can find in the App Store to collect receipts. Um, some of them are free, some of them might charge you a small fee, or some might let you scan in a limited number of uh, receipts, which might be enough for you, but uh, for free, and then they'll charge you over that amount but do a bit of research you could probably find out uh, something that works for you and most of them involve taking a photo yeah. and categorizing your expenses yeah. so you could have a look at one called expensify which i believe has a free version and that's just if you get into a routine of just constantly taking a photo of your receipts through expensify or some other app it'll put you in a much better position when it comes to tax time mm. to to be able to see where you're at so keeping receipts in a box and leaving them until the end of the tax year is really inefficient. Or even a quarter. Even a quarter. We'll get onto that in a minute. Yep. And and you could lose your receipts or they could get damaged. So just scan them in as soon as you get them. Really, a really certain type of printers when they print. Uh, yep. And if you leave them in a hot car, yep. yeah, yeah, they can data disappears. Absolutely. So in terms of... You know, if someone didn't want a free app and they wanted some, some full functionality, I would assume that the subscription fees would also be a business deductible. expense, therefore yeah, deductible. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. It would be definitely a yeah, deductible cool. expense cool. for tax. Cool. Um, there's a couple of other areas. I mean, just the other thing is, like, just think about all your receipts. So petrol, mm. any maintenance you get done, mm. insurance premiums, almost anything else you spend money on to operate your business, such as if you're paying for the app. Yep. That would be deductible for tax as well in most cases, I'd yep. expect. Yeah. So here's a big one. Yes. Everyone knows about this one and everyone sort of struggles around the concept and am I registered, am I not registered, should I be registered, shouldn't I be registered? But let's talk about goods and services tax, GST. Why should you register for GST on a platform such as zoom to you Okay. That's, it is a, it's a good question. GST is not simple um, for a driver, but I think it is probably the most financially beneficial thing a driver can do, that is to register for GST, because whilst you don't have to, I think you only have to register for GST if it's over $75,000 of income, is that right? Correct. Yep. So if you're under that, you don't have to, but you can still um, register for GST if you're below that amount. And, that, and the reason I say it's the most beneficial thing is every time you spend money operating your vehicle or, or anything to do with your business, the supplier of that service or product is going to attach GST to their invoice. So right. petrol, parts, you name it. If you, get, if you register for GST, you're effectively going to get a 10% saving on all these expenses because you can claim the GST that you pay back. So when you buy your petrol or have repairs done, supplier automatically charges GST at the end of the GST period, which could be monthly or quarterly, as Peter alluded to just recently, um, you can claim back the GST included on all of your receipts. So it's definitely a beneficial thing to do. Uh, there are some compliance requirements. You do have to lodge these 
activity statements, either monthly or quarterly. Um, so there's a little bit of cost involved or a little bit of effort at least. Uh, if you're thinking about registering for GST, you should definitely speak to your accountant. But I certainly think it's a way you could significantly save some money in terms of uh, claiming back that GST. So a little bit of effort. A little bit of effort. A little bit of work. A, yeah, a little bit of work. Often. Yeah, can, can reap you some rewards. Reap you some, and I think mm. using one of those apps we talked about earlier mm. should help you be organised and minimise the time it takes you to prepare your GST activity statements. And as a matter for qualification, so the seventy-five k is a threshold that's across all of your activities, right? So it's not just GST. Yep. It's not just Zoom to you. Yeah, it could be across uber or, or or any of those other yep. platforms that people operate on so it's an aggregate that's right Seventy five thousand across all your income streams yeah, cool. Cool. that's that's really valuable information michael thank yeah. you no no problems um uh, from time to time we as as the only listed business within our space uh, i do get some chat through through facebook and, and through other uh, other direct mediums about uh about investing mm-hmm. so Generally around investing in companies to, to earn income, which a couple of our drivers, a few of our drivers have actually um, participated in in, uh, in in purchasing shares of, of Zoom to you. So what what, what do you think your, uh, your, your best advice should be uh, in, in and around? Sure. I've got a, my number one rule is like investing's for the long term. Yes. Successful investors invest for the long term. They don't buy and sell a month later. Um, if you buy quality shares in quality companies um, and keep invested in those quality companies over time, I won't say it's always going to happen, but over time investments should increase in value and start generating your return on income. That's very general, mm. it's, but I think the, the point is long-term investing. And I think on top of that, um, a lot of us don't have you know a big chunk of money we can put into shares immediately or in one go but i think the important thing is like even if you invest a small amount regularly so even if it was like i don't know 50 50 bucks a month i don't know whatever Mm. whatever you can can afford to put away Mm. just continually doing it every month because that continued investment plus earnings those on those investments will compound yes and compounding is really the secret to building wealth the key isn't it it is absolutely the key so, okay. so if you had a decision to, uh, we call them blue chip. Yep. So if you had a, it, yeah, and they are significantly higher, right? There's only yep. a certain amount of Combank shares you can yep. buy for fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, as opposed to, uh, and they 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 tend actually they're nearly like hundred dollars now Combank shares. Yeah, yep. So you buy half a share. Yeah. Um, so they are typically um, good shares to have. Yep. But very expensive. Yeah. You tend not to lose on those. Yep. But I think the rule of thumb around investment in shares is um, high risk equals high return. 100%, yeah. So that's one of the first points I was going to make is invest in companies you know of, big companies, and I, I'm not making any recommendations here, but things you've heard of like CBA, Telstra, BHP, Woolworths, they're all big companies. They're not going to go out of business anytime soon, touch wood. And as they make profits, you'll benefit through the dividend income, right? So I think one of my key rules is like, Invest with things you know and understand, right? Like if you, someone comes to you and says, uh, there's this opportunity to buy shares in this cancer research company developing a blah, blah, blah. If you don't understand it, just don't do it. Just don't, don't get involved with things you don't understand. 
Um, we all understand what banks do, what Telstra does, what mm. BHP does. Everyone understands it. So make sure you un- have a basic understanding of what they're doing. If you can't understand what they're doing, don't invest. Another, another option, if you, and taking Pete's point about CBA being $100 a shares, you can buy things called exchange-traded funds. Um, mm. So you can buy these Heavy on the stock exchange. Is it? <laughs> well, <laughs> basically, I, I've explained it as simply as I can. Basically, it's uh, you can buy through one share exposure to the entire market. I see. Yeah, yes. so you can buy an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which replicates the entire stock market. Right. So rather than picking individual companies, yes. you can buy that and you'll get the return that the stock market gives you, which is generally always going to be better than putting your money in the bank. Which is an aggregate of the entire market. That's exactly right. So you're getting exposure to you know, a tiny just bit of BHP, a tiny bit of CBA. Just explain, just explain to the listeners uh, what the definition of, of, of a dividend is. So when companies make profits, um, the way they reward shareholders is by paying dividends um, and dividends come out of their profits. Dividends get paid to shareholders. So, for example, CBA over the course of a year might pay a 7% dividend. So if the shares are trading at $100, they might pay $7 a year as a dividend. Mm. That goes to shareholders. And another thing I was going to mention is a lot of these big companies also have things called dividend reinvestment plans, which says, here's your $7, but why don't you reinvest it back into our shares? And that's a really good way to get that compounding happening. Because next year you'll get dividends on $107 worth of shares. So 7% of 107 is a bit more. And keep compounding and compounding. The following year you'd have 114, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's an automatic process. It's an automatic process. You just fill in a form and uh, the company reinvests automatically. Not all companies have it, but where companies do have it, I, I personally do it for all my share investments. And, and, and if a listener is, is, is a novice in terms of buying selling shares well, what, what's the first step what do they do they get an app do they do they go uh, to a financial advisor i what's think well financial advisors can be expensive and they usually are only available to people who've got significant money to invest mm. i'd suggest that you find someone in, in your circle of colleagues friends family yep. someone you know and trust and just ask them for advice if you're thinking about investing in the stock market it's not um it's, it's important that you get trusted advice, someone that you can trust that knows a little bit about it. They don't have to be experts. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. And then the simplest way to buy shares is just to set up an online trading account with a Comsec or a NAB trade. Uh, they don't charge. They, 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 I think Steve was telling me his broker charges between 6 and $11 a trade. So... You might want to start accumulating cash and then buying shares in a like rather than buying one Commonwealth Bank shares, save up for, for a, you know, a few months yeah, and buy three or four. That, or aggregate that. Yeah, aggregate the cash and then put that into shares. Mm. Uh, and like and most of these online platforms like Comsec and NabTrade, they've got um, savings accounts as well, so you can just automatically deposit, set up a direct debit to go directly into a savings account. Then when you build up some money in that savings account, you can buy a parcel of shares. And the f- brokerage tends to be flat rate. So if you buy one shares or five, generally, one share or five shares, it's going to be the same. So better to have it on five shares than one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Michael. Yes. I'm going to ask you a question here that yeah. you've not actually prepared for. Oh, don't do that. 
So I'm going to ask you about your history. Now, for anyone that doesn't know Michael, Michael is a career CFO. He's been involved in some very, very large business, very, very big transactions, and he's a career finance and CFO. So I'm going to ask him a very personal question now. Okay. What's the worst, some of the worst financial decisions you can make when you're young and you don't understand what you're doing? Well, I go back to what I said earlier. If there's something you don't in, don't understand, don't invest in it. <coughs> so I nearly made a bad investment decision when I was young. I mean, I'm sure it did make some, but this one springs to mind where I nearly made one, but I got out of it. I was about 20 years old. A very good friend of mine was selling blocks of land in Tasmania. He told me it was a sure thing. The area was very popular. Mm. I've never been to Tasmania, so I went to the Tasmanian Tourism Association Asked what they thought about the area where this friend of mine was trying to sell me some land. They told me it was very isolated, no infrastructure, middle of nowhere. So I politely told my friend I wasn't interested. So I guess the lesson is always do your research on any investment. Mm. If it's an ASX company you're thinking of investing in, you can do a Google search and you'll see heaps about them. If it's something you don't know anything about, probably don't invest in it. And don't ever be sold by the bright, shiny sales guy that says this is the next best thing. We've all done it. We've yeah. all done it. We've all bought that car we probably oh, shouldn't actually, have bought. I bought a share in a racehorse. That's oh, definitely the worst financial decision no, I've ever no. made. Definitely. Nothing that eats hay. Huh? Nothing that eats hay. No, this, the, it was the expenses were endless. <laughs> the winnings were non-existent. Yeah. And the uh, enjoyment was minimal. So don't do that. I mean, you've got some... You've got some confidence in businesses because of the regulatory framework around being a listed business. Yeah, for sure. Yep, the ASX keeps a close eye on listed companies, making sure they're disclosing yep. everything that companies, everything that investors would need to know. Uh-huh. Yep. So there is some comfort around that, but you still need to do your research. I've really enjoyed our chat today, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Normally, we've got me and Steve sitting in a room and everyone hears from Steve, but it's good to hear from uh, some of the more, more, more important people in the <laughs> business that are, are, uh, are driving our, are driving our uh, profitability, are driving, driving us to do better and driving us to do better for our, for our shareholders yeah, and, for sure. and ultimately our drivers. So yep. really appreciate the chat, Michael. Thank great. you. Thanks, Pete. It's great being with you. Take care. Okay, bye. That's it for today's episode of our Drivers Podcast. We hope you enjoyed learning about the history and evolution of Zoom to you, and how it all started with a simple idea to connect drivers and customers. Join us next time as we delve deeper into the world of Zoom to you and explore the features and benefits that make it stand out in the industry. Thank you for tuning in, and don't forget to share with your friends and family. Thanks again and we'll catch you next time.